this morning, uh, I want to continue to touch into some stuff that uh, we unpacked a couple of weeks ago, and um, in regards to um, coming alive to God and dying to sin. And uh, we, 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 we unpacked a bit of that, and at the end of that, um, we kind of finished off where King Solomon says, guard your heart, because everything you do flows from it. Everything we do flows from our heart. And so if you want to actually be bold and courageous and take a bit of a look at the condition of your heart, all you need to do is look at how you spend your time, your energy, your thought life, and your resources, and what you're pouring that into. And that will give you a very good snapshot or inventory of the state of your heart. And um, in fact, you know, uh, Matthew's gospel, he, it, it's, a, it's a, little more, um, a little more intense. And, and he talks about how out of, out of your heart uh, flows everything. Uh, just here we go, Matthew 15. He says, the things that come out of your mouth come from your heart. And this is what determines whether or not you're clean. For out of the heart, listening to this, this is a bit of a hard one to actually honestly engage with. Out of the heart comes every corrupt and evil thought. Out of the heart comes murder. Out of the heart comes adultery. Out of the heart comes sexual immorality. Out of the heart comes theft. Out of the heart comes false testimony. Out of the heart comes slander. Do you think maybe the heart is very important when you're listening to what the scriptures talk to us about the heart and why everything uh, that we do flows from it? It's really important that we take a good check of our heart. Now, um, you know, during the week I was doing some... Um, just some some reading, and um, one of the things I, I was reading about, I was reading about how when um, God had liberated the people of God, of Israel out of Egypt after hundreds of years of slavery, and He was calling them into their true identity as His as His treasure in the earth, and that through that treasure, the whole world would know the blessing of God. The whole world would know the blessing of God. And as he called them into this place of identity and this place of life purpose and function as God's treasured people in the earth, he calls them to this really amazing moment where he says to them, come to the mountain. Now get ready. Prepare yourself because I'm going to come and manifest my presence on the mountain. And, and you can read this in Exodus 20, 19, 20, and 21, and, and also in Deuteronomy 5, and which is the commentary of what was happening in Exodus 20. So the people of God, they all come to the mountain. They prepare themselves as, they, as best they can. They get their heart ready to encounter the living God who they have seen and heard 
in their liberation process. So at this point, you have to understand, at this point, when God invites them into this moment, there is no law. There's been 2,800 years of no law. There is no law of God in the earth. And every single human being in that nation of God's treasured possession in the earth can hear the voice of the Lord. Everyone can hear God. And there is no law up to this point. And so God says to them, come and meet with me. He invites them into this incredible moment of fellowship. And the heart of the nation is now at a very important point, the heart of a people. And as they gather there, God descends on the mountain. And the scriptures actually describe God's presence as this dark cloud that comes on the mountain. And within the context of this dark cloud, there's this almighty, like almost deafening noise of trump. It sounds like the voice of God sounds like these, like trumpets. I don't know if you've ever stood in front of a whole row of. Darren has. He's an army musician. He understands. But it's like when they are all blasting on this note, it's almost this, it's amazing, but it's deafening all at the same time experience. And at the same, so there's this noise accompanying the presence of God. Everyone can hear. Everyone can see. And there's this violent sort of eruption of like, it looks like fire and smoke all happening at the same time. And so God comes and descends and then he says to the people, all right, come up and fellowship with me. And at this point, the heart of the people is revealed. At this point, they look at who God is They look at the history that they've experienced with God of his liberating power and love. And he has prophesied over them through the song of Miriam in in their deliverance. That they would be a people blessed of God, a great nation in the earth, a blessing to the world. And the people look at God, they hear God, and the scriptures say they feared God. And it's not, 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 the, not the fear in the sense of that is awesome, but their hearts told them at that point, you need to be scared of God. And at that point, that, that most incredible moment, they turn to Moses, the people of God turn to Moses and say, Moses, we're not going up. We're not going. You go for us. And so Moses goes up. And from that moment on, the only person that could hear the voice of God on behalf of the people was Moses. Everyone else, their ears had been disconnected from the very voice of invitation. They had rejected God. That's why the writer of the Hebrews says, today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart like you did in the rebellion. Don't don't be like the people of old who have said, no, you're too fearful. We won't come near you. You see, God has um, 
always invited humanity up into their true identity as his, as his creation, up into the fellowship of knowing what it means to walk with the living God. And time and time and time again, not only did the people of Israel in that moment reject God, but we all continue to say, no, no, no. This is why King Solomon, when he got anointed king, and he, and he, and he said this um, observation in, in Proverbs 24, he said, I want wisdom, God. And so God gave him wisdom as a king. And this was the wisdom of the king. He says, guard your heart. Watch over your heart. Because he was a king in the line of these people's story who had time and time again rejected God. And you know what they, you know what they, you know what they asked for? Do you know what the people asked for after rejecting God? They asked for, no, they didn't at that point. They did at another point, but not that point. What they did was they said, just give us rules. Give us a law. That's what the people cried out for. That's what humanity asked for in the face of the creator inviting them into their destiny and their identity. The people said, no, just give us rules. Solomon says, guard your heart because from, every, from that place, everything you do in life flows from your heart. Guard it because the inclination of your heart is to want to say no to the invitation of God and just instead give me rules, give me a law. And the tragedy of, of, of this, it's, a, it's an utter disaster. The tragedy of this is that from that point on, God made a new covenant with them, the Mosaic covenant. And it was, it was, it was a particular type of covenant. It was a covenant where uh, two, two nations' leaders would come together and make an agreement. If you behave like this, I'll behave like that. If you behave like this, I'll behave like that. Blessing and cursing came into the earth. The people would rather choose to live under a relationship of rules and blessing and cursing on the basis of behaviour rather than the gracious invitation of the living God to say, come up into my presence and let me fulfil the destiny of who I've called you to be as a blessing to the earth and the world. The folly of us. The folly of us. It's not God who's the tyrant. He's actually in covenant relationship. He's keeping his end of the deal in the Mosaic covenant. He's keeping his end of the, if you behave like this, I'll behave like that. And the people are saying, let it be. And we, will, we agree, we will behave like this and then you will treat us like that. Both blessing and cursing. They invoked the curses on themselves and God agreed to that kind of relationship. 
That was a terrible thing. But what does a God who's been rejected by his own people do to maintain relationship? Well, he, he says, if you read it there, he just says to Moses, he says, Moses, I'm done with them. I am done with them. I, 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 they have rejected me again. He says, you better, he says, Moses, you better just lead these guys out of here. I can't go with you. I can't be near you. Be, why? And he's not saying because, uh, he's saying, I can't be near you because we're in covenant now. And if you behave like I know you're going to behave, I have to act according to the integrity of the covenant that we've made together. It's not because he's an angry, punisher, vicious God. It's because of the agreement that's been made in the covenant. I, I, I can't look at this and let it go because we've agreed together that we would behave and relate like this together. And Moses does something outstanding. He goes, oh God, I am appealing to you on the covenant that you've made with Abraham and Noah. So he reaches back even further into the story of the history of the heart of God. And that covenant relationship with Abraham is, I will bless you. I am a God of great compassion and kindness. I will bless you and your children to the generations, through the generations. And you will become great in the earth. Moses is saying, God, remember the covenant of Abraham. And Noah... What was the covenant agreement that God made with Noah? Never again will I rid the earth of my created people. And so Moses appeals to the character of God. He says, oh God, travel with us. Please don't leave us. Travel with us. And God says, okay, but it's on the basis of covenant now, the the rules that we've agreed to. Can you see the tragedy in the story? But this is what we're like. God continues to invade our life with his love, with his purpose, with his plans, with his passions, with his hopes and dreams for us. And we continue to say, no. That's why Solomon says, guys, guard your heart. Watch over it. Tend it. Care for it. Look after it. Because the inclination of it is to want to continue to say, no, God, tell me the rules. And if I behave and jump as high as the rules say, then you can either bless me or curse me. Now, praise God for those of us who've said yes to Jesus Christ. We now live in a better covenant. That he has fulfilled everything that's required of all of the old covenants and established a new. That's what he came to do, was to establish a new and better covenant. Because we couldn't do what we agreed to. And some might say, well, the law, Kirk, you see, you've got to understand, the law was impossible for for anyone to fulfill. Well, that's actually not true. Because in Deuteronomy, at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses says to the people, here's the law. I'm about to die now before you go into the promised land. Here's all of the law. And he says, it's near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your hands. In other words, he was saying, you can fulfill it. That's why Paul, the scriptures talk about how Paul, as, as according to the law, faultless. See, he fulfilled it. 
Jesus didn't come to fulfill the law. Jesus came to establish a new law, a new covenant, a new way of relating to people between God and man. He was saying there's a new covenant now. And praise God on the basis of the word and works of Jesus, he established once and for all, for all. There is grace to be had. There is mercy to be found. There is freedom from your sin. And none of it is on the basis of our, of our performance. But by faith, we say yes to the work of God in Jesus Christ, in his life, in his death on the cross, in his burial in hell, and on the third day, his resurrection, and now his ascension. And we're living in the covenant relationship that Jesus has established with the Father. And then says to everybody, it's a gift. It's a gift. Behavior management. Behavior management is really what our heart in its brokenness continues to divert to and and lean to rather than relational inheritance with our creator through Jesus Christ. Above all else, guard your heart. Now, sometimes we get a little bit like guarding our heart and I touched on this a couple of weeks ago where we we tend to want to guard our heart on the basis of um, our pain or our history of relationship on the basis of how people have treated us in the past and so forth and what we tend to do is we tend to and even our 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 experiences of relationship with God where we feel like he hasn't uh, you know behaved the way we think he should And so what we do is we hedge ourselves in around our wounds, around our brokenness, around our disappointments. We build these little enclaves around our pain and we guard ourselves with that stuff. And it's completely destructive to to posture yourself like that. I found this great quote um, of um, C.S. Lewis and he says this. uh, Sorry, I'm just jumping through. I got it, mate. He says this in his work called The Four Loves. Lewis says, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. In other words, some people love their pets more than they love people because they think it's a safer option. You've got to wrap your heart carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all other impossible entanglements. You've got to lock it up safe in the casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, ir- irredeemable. To love is to become vulnerable. That's a pretty powerful statement by Lewis, isn't it? I mean, that, that really, like, if you, if you, if you bring the, the, the mercy of God to your own heart and look at the lens of your heart with the, with the eyes of God and the mercy of God, we see ourselves and we see all of the things that we would give ourselves to in the hope that we can manage and we can protect 
our hearts rather than living with a open heart, a heart set free. There's a book I once read um, by C.K. Barrett, and he was a New Testament theologian on the Apostle Paul, and he described Paul like this. His book is called The Apostle Paul, uh, The Apostle of the Heart Set Free. You've got to imagine a guy who's come from a place of faultless law living before God, and he could rightly claim that without blowing smoke, without saying, I'm better than you. He's just saying, I've lived the law. And out of that place, he went and murdered a whole bunch of new believers and followers of Christ. And the Spirit of God says, he's the guy that's going to see the Gentile world come into the knowledge of my love for them through Jesus. And so this murdering guy who oversaw the murder of, of many followers of Jesus, he has a conversion experience. He meets the living God and his heart is converted and transformed powerfully by this living God. If God can do a work like that in a guy like Paul and take him from being this murderous guy, living out of a heart that is very broken and yet at the same time faultless before God and turn it into a guy who's become, as Barrett would call him, the apostle of the heart set free. You see, he left all his shame behind. He left all his brokenness behind. He left all of his guilt behind, all because he'd met Jesus. And he came into a new and better covenant. Now, that, that word <coughs> um, uh, called guard, it's, a, it's an interesting word. Um, <coughs> it's not guarding in the sense of building a defensiveness around it. It's, it's about actually watching over or tending for, or caring for. It's not locking it down, it's setting it free, but watching, watching the whole time. It's a bit like, you know, as a parent and you watch your children play. You kind of look at, you kind of look at all of the possible kind of safety issues, things that could go wrong, or gosh, we haven't got enough protection in place there for them to want to do what they're, they're playing. But rather than lock them down, we have to risk giving them the freedom of adventure to go out there and actually climb the tree and fall out of it and bang their knee <laughs> and get an owie. <laughs> We've got to actually, as a parent, we, we, can't, we can't save them from everything. Because if we live like that, we go... We, we, well, it's an endless anxiety. That's what it is. You can't live in that place. And even we do that in, a, in, a, in regards to our own heart and life. I'm going to only have a relationship with you and you and you because I know you're safe, and, but I'm only going to let you in this far because I, I've, I've let someone in there before and it didn't turn out good. You know, I, you know... And we live now in a culture, in a spiritual atmosphere, in a context that is so racked, so racked by anxiety that everything we do has to have a safety plan, a risk management analysis, all sorts of stuff. I mean, we can't meet here like this without a risk management plan in place. Did you know that? Everything we do has to have a risk management plan in place. 
We're going to go, we go, you know, when we go, it's Good Friday out at the park on Good Friday, where we have a massive gathering and barbecue every Good Friday, we have to have a good, we have to have a risk management plan in place. We've gone, we've inspected the site, we've looked at the possible risks, we've minimised the risks, we've, we've made it as safe as we can for everybody in the hope that nothing will go wrong. And to the degree, the funny thing is about the legislation in the land in regards to risk management, as, as intense and as hard as we work to make sure that everything is risk averse, we, we, can, we can demonstrate that we've spent hours and forms and covered off everything to make sure it's all safe for everybody. And if we have an accident, we're still at fault. Even though we've shown them that we've demonstrated good Safety management. Friends, we, we live in this risk-averse context, not just in meeting like this, but in relationships. I'm not going to hang out with them because I might get hurt. But God, watch over it. And it's an interesting little, it's an interesting little thing there in the, in the Hebrew where it talks about guarding your heart with fidelity. Now, fidelity is a very interesting word. Because it's a relationship term. Now, I would say in the context of the marriage relationship that I have with my wife, Nicole, we have a fidelity. We have committed ourselves to being with each other, for each other, for the greater good of the other and the well-being of our family and the world. So we live in this fidelity. Now, there's many things that want to come along the way to draw our fidelity away from that and, and, and put our fidelity into other things. And that's where things come along, where, where Matthew 8, 15, 18 talks about it. Things will want to come along and draw your heart away from being, you know, having that fidelity of relationship. That's why marriages break down, adultery takes place. That's why, that's why people get hooked in porn and they get hooked in drug addiction they get they get stuck in relationships that are just codependent all of that is because fidelity with god and with each other is not in place it's interesting king solomon says if you want this thing to be really healthy and well guard it with fidelity fidelity to what to the Lord who made you. Come up, come up into the invitation of the presence of God who wants to fellowship and do life and walk with you. Come up into that. Have fidelity of relationship with him because if we're not having fidelity of relationship with him in Jesus, we're having fidelity of relationship with something else. It's not like, oh, if I'm not having a relationship with God, I'm not having a relationship at all. That's an un- untruth. You're actually, having, you're actually having fidelity, as C.S. Lewis would call it, to your own selfishness. I mean, this is like, if we can get, if we can get this, if we can like be honest enough to allow the Holy Spirit to, to go, come on, there's an invitation here for you to actually be who God's made you to be. And it's beyond rules, it's beyond law, it's all grace and it's all invitation and fellowship and the heart of God is for you and not against you. But you have to choose 
Where will my heart find its fidelity? Am I going to find fidelity and safety in living a life of risk management and only doing relationships with this, this type of people and that type of people? Or are we going to risk the way of Jesus and, as C.S. Lewis would call it, be vulnerable? Well, how vulnerable is vulnerable? Right there. That's what vulnerable love looks like. Trusting the Father to bring him into his rightful place as God and King in the eyes of the creation. Right there, Jesus, Jesus even said it to, to Caesar when Caesar said to him the day before he's crucified, he says, don't you get it, Jesus? I've got the power to either give you life or sentence you to death. And Jesus' response continues to blow me away every time I consider that event. Jesus says to Caesar, you only have that power because my father gave it to you. In other words, he had a trust and a fidelity with, with, the, with the father that was greater than even the powers in the earth that he risked vulnerability to go there knowing that his father would care for him knowing that his father would be true to his word over who Jesus was as Messiah, as the one who'd come to establish a new and better covenant in the earth for all people and that the promises of Abraham would become fulfilled and the whole world would know that God is good and his kingdom is here for them. He risked it. That's what vulnerable love looks like. That's what vulnerable love looks like. Now, there's a whole series of um, bits and, you know, there's all sorts of telltale signs that, that kind of grow in our life to, to demonstrate to us what it looks like when um, our hearts are being guarded with other than the fidelity of God, relationship with God. And these are some of the things that you might even see in your own life. These are things that I've had to walk through as well. Signs of a heart going hard or defensive or protective. This, this isn't an exhaustive list. This is just a few that I grabbed out of the bucket of my life. It's where you begin, you know, you, you, for, you forget to know how to celebrate with people their life, and what God's doing in them. You, you're no longer able to actually celebrate that. Knowing your stuff, but seeing God bless someone else, you, you've forgotten how to celebrate that for them. You've forgotten how to actually engage emotionally with that and say, that is so great of God to love and bless your life, and I celebrate him in what he's doing in you. And see the testimony of Jesus it feels like you've become emotionally disconnected. It's a, it's a deliberate series, though, that disconnection. It's a deliberate series of small choices and little steps to continue to draw yourself away. No one gets disconnected because they've just, oh, I woke up today and I'm disconnected. No. Nothing shall separate those of us who, from the love of God, who are in Jesus Christ. Nothing other than perhaps sometimes 
your own small decisions based on pain and rejection. And you wake up one day and your heart is cold and you are disconnected. Where you watch somebody else's life or even the life of your own marriage or your family's life or your children's life or even the, 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 our governments. You look at what's taking place in people's lives and you just kind of go, huh, I don't care. You've grown cold. These are signs of what a heart that's hard and defensive begins to look like. Your life becomes mechanical instead of meaningful. Mechanical instead of meaningful. In other words, you're doing the daily do list and it's all mechanical. The relationship with your kid, the relationship with the person next door, your relationship with your work colleagues, it's all become mechanical and it's lost its meaning of why, why I first started this job or why I first thought I had a vision of God for my life that would do such a thing as I spend my life on right now. It's become mechanical. And the meaning has gone away. A hard heart, a defensive heart, a guarded heart with fidelity to your own selfishness begins to, the passion ebbs away. You have very low passion for the cause of God in your own life, let alone the life of the church in the earth, let alone for the inbreaking of the kingdom for the Moreton Bay region. I mean, I, who's, who's lying awake in the night calling out, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, you've so ruined my heart with your love and your grace. Show me, please show me how I can love the very people that I'm going to encounter tomorrow with your kindness, your rule, your generosity, your, your authority to heal, to deliver, to set free, to, to bless in every regard. Oh God, who's, who's in the night crying out, oh God? Or have our hearts just, oh, I don't care anymore? Has it all just become mechanical? where you begin to look at each other and people and you, you no longer are able to see them according to the prophetic word of God over their life and the preferred destiny in the heart of God for people. And all you do is you look at people and you go, Ugh. oh, oh, God, all the problems I'm going to have to deal with in having a relationship with that person. And you've resorted to problems instead of prophetic hope. This is what a heart looks like as it just slowly ebbs away because you've guarded it with your own selfishness and you're no longer living in a place of vulnerability in the power of God. These are dynamics that I journeyed through. It's where you become like, oh, great, another new relationship. Oh, how many times have I been here before? And you start to already put in place what's going to happen in that relationship on the basis of the hurt of historical relationship. And because of that, you look at it and you go, ah, and cynicism, that demonic power has established its roots in you and you can no longer give two hoots. This is what it looks like when a heart begins to be guarded by its own selfishness. 
Now, I'm sure that some of that stuff is not unique to me. I'm sure these are things we all battle with. This morning, I want to just finish off with, well, what do we do? What is the right way to keep our heart healthy and free and be completely abandoned to the rule and reign of God's generosity for our life? Well, Jesus says in John 13, a new commandment I give you. Now, prior to this, the old commandment was this. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's what the covenant relationship was back at at the mountain. On the basis of doing that, you get blessing or cursing. Jesus comes along and says, a new commandment. A new commandment I'm giving you. And it's this. Love one another as I've loved you. And ultimately, his love made a way for us to be able to have complete relationship with the Father on the basis of a new covenant. No longer on the basis of blessing and cursing, on behavior management and risk being risk averse. But now we can abandon ourselves to the new covenant of God in Jesus Christ, in his life, death and resurrection, that we can just go, praise God. Finally, I can walk about in freedom. And I can now live the law of of love. I think one John calls that the law of love. Now we can, we can I'm not going to unpack what that looks like today, but there's homework here, people. You know, there's, there's homework in any relationship, you realise that? I do. I'm having to work at my relationships all the time. I have to continue to reject passivity. I have to continue to engage wholeheartedly. I have to choose to look at the prophetic hope of God for my life and for the people around me, for my family and for my, my kingdom family here at the Vineyard and beyond. Even for my, 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 my Moreton Bay area, my Moreton Bay region. And it's mine in Jesus Christ. It's mine in Jesus Christ. I have to continue to engage and do homework and say, oh God, oh God, why do you think King David was so like, oh God, renew a right spirit in me. Search my heart. See if there is anything offensive in it. What I've made fidelity with that's not you, oh God. And the writer of the Hebrews, again, he pleads to the people that would listen. He pleads to the people who would listen. Please, please, please do not harden your heart like you did in the rebellion. Don't go back to the rules. Don't go back to wanting blessing and cursing. Give it up. Become vulnerable. Step out from the the shell of our own selfishness and engage with the kindness and the goodness of God that says, welcome, 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 welcome. Welcome to my preferred future for you through Jesus. There's homework to do, folks. Because I, I, I also think that there's, a, there's kind of like a bit of a picture here of, of, of what God was offering even to the people of God through Ezekiel. 
the people of God at this point, they're in this complete state of they've lost everything, they've lost their nation, they've lost everything that God's brought them into. Why? Because of their hearts going astray. They've lost everything, they're in captivity, and, uh, <coughs> and before they come back, a prophetic voice drops into the people in their despair. And the prophetic voice says, in Ezekiel 11, he says, I'm going to come to my people and I'm going to give them an undivided heart and I'm going to put a new spirit in them and I'm going to remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh, one that feels the joy and the pain, the joy and the pain, the victory and the defeat. I'm going to give them a heart of flesh and they will follow my ways and they will be careful to keep them and they'll be my people. There's an identity issue here. They'll be my people. In other words, I belong to him is what our heart will say and I'll be their God. I'll be their king. A heart that's fleshy, that feels. If there's one thing right now in our nation, let alone in our own heart individually here right now, if there's one thing I'm watching unfold in our nation after the many years of of political just, just chaos in leadership, I'm seeing a cry from the heart of the people to say, please, somebody, somebody lead us. Please, somebody lead us. And I think that's where we, as the prophetic voice of God, come into our true identity as sons and daughters of the living God, can speak truth to the powers that be that rule our nation and see the kingdom come with justice, mercy and salvation for all. It's, our, it's ours. It's ours. But on the basis of rules, we miss out. But on the basis of saying, yes, Lord, give me that fleshy heart, the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's stand and pray. Let's stand and pray. Just close your eyes and I just invite you into a moment of honesty with yourself with God with the people around you and the world I invite you into a moment of honest conversation between your heart and the heart of the living God just close your eyes for just a moment please Holy Spirit Spirit of the living God the power that rose Jesus from death 
invite you to come now and just speak, speak to our heart. Show us, God, where we've preferred a stone over a fleshy heart. Show us all those moments where we've had made choices and decisions to slowly withdraw from living with a full and undivided heart. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to my heart. Speak to my heart. And God, I'm asking that this little micro group of people here, as we're having this conversation between our heart and yours, Lord, would you see us as the people of this land asking that you would speak to the heart of our nation too. That what we do here matters for the whole well-being of our nation and help us get vision for that. God help us get vision for that. That our prayers are effective that you have called us to be the people of your kingdom, making your kingdom appeal into our nation. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, just where it's become mechanical and no longer meaningful, please, please, Lord, help us, help our heart. Where, where we've made fidelity of relationship with things and codependent relationships and, and stuff and, and just, the, just the hungers of our flesh, where we've made fidelity with that. God, help us get out of that this morning. Break the power of that off our life in the name of Jesus. Bring us into the new life in Christ that you've won for us in your resurrection do it, God. I, I, I ask God, even as Moses appealed to you, God, I'm appealing to you, God, through Jesus' name. Can you transform our life? Oh, God, help us. Just ask for forgiveness where we've looked at people around us and gone, oh, that's just a whole bag of problems right there. Instead of looking at them with the prophetic hope of the heart of God for their life and speaking it over them. Lord, would you just forgive us and just renew a right spirit in us again. That we can look at the most difficult person and see them with your love and your destiny in, in, in mind. And that we might speak it over them. Thanks God. I keep hearing the Holy Spirit saying, come up, come up. The invitation is the invitation that the Father gave to the people of old, that you would be his treasured possessions through Jesus Christ. 
and that you would step up out of blessing and cursing and rules and risk management and being risk averse and you would come alive and step up into your rightful inheritance as, for those of you who've said yes to Jesus, as heirs of, of God. Heirs, ruling and reigning with Jesus. Step up that he would be your God and you would be his people. Knowing who you are, step up. Thank you, Holy Spirit.